You know, the entire process was kind of bookended by women's rights protests, both here in the U.S. and internationally. It just really felt like an extra important time to be highlighting the power of women. That's Andrea Park, a staff writer here at Fierce Pharma. Later, we'll hear more from her about the 2022's Fiercest Women in Life Sciences. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma. This episode is brought to you by Precision Extract. Today is Friday, November 18th. Stick with us. We've got all the biopharma and medtech industry news you need. Imitation is a form of flattery, right? Well, not for Eli Lilly. Last week, an Eli Lilly parody account tweeted that it was now offering free insulin. And that tiny tweet has caused a huge hit to the company. There are lots of Twitter accounts that have pretended to be other companies. But what makes this different was the new Twitter Blue subscription service. It was introduced by Elon Musk, the new owner of Twitter. See, in the pre-Musk era, the blue checkmark next to a Twitter handle meant that that account met certain standards of authenticity. Parody accounts didn't pass the bar. But now anyone can buy a blue checkmark for just eight bucks a month. So this meant the tweet from the fake Eli Lilly account looked real. As Ben Adams reports, the tweet read, We are excited to announce insulin is free now. In just six hours, it was retweeted thousands of times. By the time Twitter removed the tweet, the damage was done. Eli Lilly lost billions and tweeted an apology because the fake tweet got people thinking about insulin pricing once again. And that has often been a sore spot for the industry. Eli Lilly is one of the largest insulin manufacturers in the world. The whole debacle received considerable attention from the press and ultimately destroyed about 6% of Lilly's market value. The results are in for Roche's Alzheimer's therapy, and it's not what anyone was hoping for. The anti-amyloid therapy failed to improve the rate of cognitive decline and functional decline, dealing yet another blow to the field. Surprisingly, in September, a similar candidate from iSci and Biogen did appear to slow cognitive decline in a phase three trial. So what's next for the field? Annalie Armstrong reports that experts say this is not the time to abandon the amyloid theory. They say the iSci therapy should earn an FDA nod next year. And we'll see what Eli Lilly has when they also present results for an Alzheimer's therapy next year. The NFL is embedding sensors in the mouth guards of football players. Why? To study head injuries among NCAA players. So by using sensors to measure the force of an impact, they could gain insight into what causes a concussion or brain injury. As Connor Hale reports, the study will also help them examine which players take the most hits and which players are the most dangerous. Earlier this season, Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungavailoa suffered back-to-back head injuries during the game. The events ultimately prompted the NFL to declare it would immediately revise aspects of its concussion policy. There seems to always be a concussion conversation surrounding the NFL. The NFL launched this concussion research program last year with four schools. But last week, the NFL released a statement that said the program now has eight participating schools in the study and more than 250 volunteers wearing these customized mouth guards on the field. 
the Mayo Clinic is taking on AI bias. As Connor Hale reports, Mayo Clinic has launched a new service to address the risk posed by biased artificial intelligence models. An AI algorithm isn't always as objective as we'd like to think. It all depends on the input data that were used to train the model. The person gathering that data could unintentionally introduce bias into the data set. Mayo Clinic released a statement saying its new service will help AI developers spot potential biases hidden within their algorithms. It would sort of be like a nutrition or ingredients label. The program evaluates how an AI algorithm performs under various constraints, like race, gender, or socioeconomics. The industry has been working on ways to improve the accuracy of machine learning models, especially when those models may end up unintentionally reinforcing biases already in the system. And Mayo Clinic hopes to put the algorithms to the test beforehand, so perhaps we can more comfortably rely on AI programs for healthcare. When companies win approvals from the FDA, they like to point out how their drug is the first to do this or the first to do that. Some of the claims can be a stretch, but others are quite noteworthy. Consider Immunogen and its newly approved ovarian cancer drug, Elahir. As Kevin Dunleavy reports, it is the first drug approved in eight years for advanced ovarian cancer. It also is the first in its class of antibody drug conjugates approved to treat cancer that is resistant to platinum chemotherapy. Most importantly for Immunogen, it's the first drug wholly owned by the company to be approved in its 41-year history. Mark Ennedy, the CEO, said during a conference call that there's more than a little energy around the building. Important indeed. The drug could help extend lots of lives. Many ovarian cancer patients rely on surgery, followed by platinum-based chemo, and then maintenance therapy. But many patients are resistant to the therapy. Elihir, however, will give them a chance. In a trial, the drug shrunk the tumors of 32% of patients, and in 5% of them, it cleared them entirely of their cancer. Sanofi and GSK finally got a COVID-19 vaccine approval. The European Commission approved their booster shot, called Vidprevtine Beta, According to a joint press release, the shot could protect patients against a range of COVID variants, but it combines an antigen with an adjuvant. That's an ingredient used in some vaccines that helps create a stronger immune response in patients. It's basically like an espresso shot for vaccines. As Fraser Kansteiner reports, patients in Europe can get Vidprevitin beta as a booster shot following a primary shot that contains an mRNA or adenovirus-based vaccine like those from Pfizer, Moderna, or AstraZeneca. Sally Bain is a spokesperson for Sanofi. She told Fraser in an email that Sanofi and GSK have purchase agreements for more than 20 EU member states. They also have purchase agreements for the UK and Canada, where it isn't yet approved. The win comes at a time when even established mRNA shots from Pfizer and Moderna are seeing less demand. How Vidprevitin fits into the picture is still unclear. The team at Fierce Pharma is excited to announce the honorees for 2022's Fiercest Women in Life Sciences. Each year, we spotlight women who are leading the way in life sciences, women who stand out as leaders, innovators, and mentors. With hundreds of nominations, it was hard to narrow it down. But after a word from our sponsor, we'll hear from Andrea Park 
and Karita Anderson on what it took to become one of the fiercest women in life sciences. Are you ready to drive radical prescription growth for your brand? With Access Genius, you can. Access Genius personalizes your brand's market access messages to an HCP's individual practice. It fully integrates with Viva applications and automatically selects the best possible pull-through message to share with target HCPs. Learn how leaning in with Access Genius messaging helped one brand realize 4 to 1 ROI. Find out how to make market access pull through your brand's superpower at accessgeniusmessaging.com. We recently published our annual Fiercest Women in Life Sciences report. And it's such an inspiring special that I really wanted to talk to you, Andrea, about this report for the podcast. You know, it's really pretty wild to think that we've been publishing this report since way back in 2013. 10, it seems. Um, that predates me uh, quite a bit. I actually had to ask Eric, Eric Saganowski, who is our Fierce Pharma senior editor, um, if he could remember when the report started. So, you know, by that metric, it's always an important report for us. But this year, compiling this list of Fierce Women seemed even more important and timely given the attack we're seeing on women's rights and freedoms. And Andrea, you wrote about that so eloquently for the intro of the report. Tell me what you were thinking. Yeah, thanks so much, Krita. Um, Yeah, absolutely. That was something that was top of mind while we started getting that report together. You know, the entire process was kind of bookended by women's rights protests, both here in the U.S. and internationally. Like, we put out that first call for nominations in early August, which was just a few weeks after the Supreme Court Dobbs decision overturned Roe v. Wade, which obviously sparked a lot of uproar and protests in the U.S. And then as we were wrapping up our selections in September and we started our interviews with our 20 honorees, then protests were breaking out in Iran over their you know, deadly enforcement of the modesty laws they have for women there. So yeah, like you said, it just really felt like an extra important time to be highlighting the power of women. It is so wild that you call out how it was bookended by those two protests. It's not Mm -hmm. even something that I really processed in real time. You know, when you're in the weeds of doing it, you sometimes miss the forest for the trees or whichever way that phrase goes. Mm -hmm. uh, I always forget. Um, And those, you know, those protests and those struggles are on such a basic level, right? I mean, basic meaning basic equal rights. And if we don't have those freedoms we as women can't contribute to the workforce or the economy. And Mm -hmm. I mean, even with the freedoms we do have now, we still don't see a lot of women at the highest levels of corporations, including executive roles at Biopharma. Yeah, unfortunately, that's true. Um, I know at Fierce Biotech, they put out a report in May of the top 10 highest paid R&D executives for last year, and none of them were women. And then just a month after that, the Biotech Innovation Organization published statistics showing that while almost half, 49% of life sciences employees are women, they make up only 34% of executive teams and just 20% of CEOs. So it feels very much like a, you know, one step forward, two steps back situation because 
yes, that 49% number is higher than past years. And it does show that life size actually, you know, coming close to equal representation on a really basic level. But that female CEO count, the 20% number is lower than the year before when women made up 23% of CEOs in the industry. So, you know, change is happening, but it's happening really slowly and not always Mm. in a straight line. Yeah, that's such a good nuance there. So I guess, you know, before we uh, just continue talking about those depressing statistics and get (laughs) even more depressed, let's look for some inspiration and turn our chat to this year's class of Fierce's Women in Life Sciences. Mm -hmm. So each year we highlight 20 women, right? 20 women who are making a major difference in their field of work. That said, it's much more than their professional accomplishments, isn't it? We always, mm-hmm. we always look for women who are making a difference to other women and other groups of people that are considered minority groups. Um, and like I said, their stories are always moving and they always show so much perseverance. Yeah, they really do. Um, I was able to interview Sarah McDonald, who is the founder of Baymatob which is a company in Australia that's developing a sensor that'll be able to catch potentially, you know, life-threatening conditions during pregnancy and birth before they occur, which is different from how we currently work. Um, And she talks a lot about how it's kind of a given, unfortunately, that building a business around women's health is going to be extra difficult. Mm. She was so candid, so great to talk to. And she said, you know, it's been really, really hard. And she talked about how she's had to grow a thick skin Mm. With all the no's she's received, but, you know, it's still a work in progress. And in the meantime, she's had to develop a bunch of other coping mechanisms. I bet. I bet. Um, Alex Jang made a similar point. So Jang is the co-founder and CEO of Verge Genomics. And she pointed to, you know, uh, similarly, how used to you have to get to hearing the word no a lot. And Something else that really resonated with me was her comments about how she leaned into her inexperience. Now, Andrea, as you and I know, inexperience is often a trope uh, Mm -hmm. trotted out by men in the effort to explain the lack of women in positions of power, i.e. there aren't any uh, with the kind of experience we want. Mm-hmm. So now Jang's story is interesting um, as she is one of the few women under the age of 35 to head up a biotech. Wow. And she said that she's learned to view her inexperience as a superpower, which I really love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, that's that's such a good perspective, you know, and Kate Haviland, who's now the CEO mm-hmm. of Blueprint Medicines, she also talked about, you know, kind of being upfront about knowing what your strengths are and what they aren't. She was saying, you know, she always wanted to work in medicine, but when she got to college and started studying biochem, she realized that she just wasn't a great research scientist. So she pivoted. She looked at what she was mm. good at and she added on an econ double major and she went on to get her MBA from Harvard. And so, you know, she was able to find another way to help bring science right. out of the lab and into patients' hands. And then, you know, like you mentioned, sometimes that perceived inexperience really just comes from inherent sexism. Like Mm. Sheila McHale, who is the CEO of Asclepios Biopharmaceutical, she said that in the early days of Ask Bio, she would let her co-founder, who's a white man, take on more of an outward facing role just because they thought he would be taken more seriously than she would. And, you know, she talked about not always being taken seriously when she was in negotiations with men. 
But she did say the best negotiation experience she's ever had was when Ask Bio was sold to Bayer last year, because in those talks, she was across the table from a woman. And as Mm. she put it, yeah, it was all plain speak, no ego. And fun fact, incidentally, the woman across the table was Marianne DeBacke, who is Bayer's pharma business development chief and actually one of our honorees on last year's version of this list. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Women helping women for sure. Um, so, you know, again, on that note, Randy De Silva also comes to mind. And, you know, she really spoke about how important it is to have a community around you and the importance of, again, women helping women. Um, De Silva co-founded Forge Bio- Biologics, and she's also senior VP of product development. So she set up Forge uh, shortly after moving to Columbus, Ohio. And she said that Columbus's small town feel and networking opportunities were really the keys to her finding champions. One of those champions was Molly Bonaptapur, who, um, who is a partner at a Midwestern venture capital firm called Drive Capital. So in De Silva's words, this is how she put it. It was interesting to me how it all came, kind of came together. In the Midwest, with a woman investor and a woman entrepreneur. And now, you know, De Silva says half of Forge is female. Yeah, that's amazing. That that idea of community was such a common theme in all of our mm-hmm. interviews with these women. Like uh, Kate Cronin, who's the chief brand officer of Moderna, talked about how after she got so much out of her own mentors, you know, she just had to pay it forward. And so she's helped start female mentorship programs, both at Moderna and at Ogilvy, the PR firm where she was before. And then Jisoo, who heads up the global MRI division at GE Healthcare, she described her own path from being you know, a mentee to a mentor of mid-career colleagues to then what she called a sponsor of early career talent, which I thought was an interesting distinction too between you, know, you mentor oh, people that. who are further along in their career, but then you sponsor people who are just getting into the industry. And then you know, kind of going along with that sponsorship bit, she was talking about how the key to get more young women into life sciences and into STEM as a whole is really just to show them it's possible, you know, build more visibility around these leaders and role models who look like them and who are doing amazing things. Yeah. Seeing people who look like you is so important Mm -hmm. and it really cannot be underestimated. Claire Debrah Hailing uh, spoke about fighting the stereotypes associated with Black women she is the scientific uh, chief scientific officer at Sandoz, um, and making and that makes her one of the few black women in the boardroom at a big pharma company. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that stepping into that role um, and then being asked to help spur diversity at the co- company actually made her realize that she wanted to, you know, tackle that. Uh, challenge of improving diversity, equity, and inclusion in a more formal manner, so much so so that she went ahead and got a master's degree um, in DEI. And now, Debra Hailing wants to convert her dissertation into a book, and I really hope she does, because it would sort of set out a strategy to address something as simple as self-identity that, you know, there are probably a lot of people out there who just take for granted, but is actually something that is really 
tough to hold on to in the face of um, unconscious bias and that you face from people around you and then just the lack of diversity that you might see around you. Right. Oh, that's so incredible. She did that. Um, I hope I hope we get to read that book soon. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, totally. That, you know, that fight for greater racial and ethnic diversity in life side certainly goes hand in hand with the fight for gender parity, for sure. Um, you know, Javalini Dorkasing told us that when she was first applying for jobs while finishing up her postdoc in 2016, she had to change the name on her applications just to land interviews which is so wild. Um, she said she had the most luck using her real name at Skyline DX, where she is now chief scientific mm. officer. Right. And, you know, of course, all is well that ends all there, but it's just such a shame to think that amazing talent might go overlooked or ignored just because of an applicant's gender or ethnicity. Yeah, it seems that we should not be dealing with that in 2022, but yet we are and seem to be sliding backward. Mm -hmm. You know, also on our list is Evelyn Marchani Garcia, and she spoke about how being part of the LGBTQ plus community added even more hurdles for her. Mm -hmm. So Marchani Garcia is now VP of Global Pharma Supply for Bristol Myers Squibb. Um, In her words, uh, quote, it's critical to be the steward of your own career, build your sponsorship network, and make sure you have advocates who recognize your talents, your value, and help encourage your career. Perseverance, commitment, and self-confidence are the key ingredients you want to build and hold on to. I thought those were nice words for oh, us yeah. to keep in mind. Yeah, I love that. And you know, going off that, so many of our honorees talked about how once you've then been able to overcome those biases and gotten your foot in the door, how important it is to then prop open that door and let other people through too. So we talked to Lori Morton, who is the VP of research at Regeneron, and she was saying she makes a point of using the loud voice that comes with her position to make sure that other people at the company with big ideas have the big voices to match so they can be mm-hmm. heard too. That's great. So, you know, that's just a sampling of the fierce women we spotlight in our report. Um, Like I said, there are 20 that we have in the report and we'd love to talk about all of them. But, you know, time does not permit for a podcast. (laughs) Unfortunately. Uh, (laughs) We've been talking about their personal journeys and challenges, but needless to say, and I can't stress this enough, they are all professionally very successful. Um, And while we're proud to showcase these 20 women in our report, we also know that there are many, many more fierce women. So Andrea, perhaps to wrap things up, tell our audience just how massive of a project this was and just how tough a task it was for us to pick the 20 finalists. Oh yeah, of course. And I know you and I both worked on that and it was very tough. Um, (laughs) We started our call for nominations, like I said, at the beginning of August. Um, Although of course we do have people reaching out all year long asking when we're going to open up the nominations, which I totally understand the excitement. Um, But yeah, through the formal process, we ended up getting around 475 submissions. Um, So obviously super tough to go through them all. And not just because we needed to turn 400 names into 20, but also just because every single one of those nominees had such an interesting story. They were so inspiring and really any of them easily could have made the list. And 
yeah, you and I spent so much time going back and forth as we narrowed it down and it was so tough, but it was really, it was so interesting and so inspiring to do it. I'm very emotionally attached to this list. Yes. Uh, and I, yeah. yeah, I just, I can't wait to do it all again next year next year right yeah. well we will definitely keep doing um this report and you know just really looking forward to next year's nominations as arduous as that process is andrea it is one i'm sure you and i would happily go through any day of the week because like you said so inspiring oh yeah so rewarding <laughs> that's it for the top line i'm senior producer Teresa carey our sound engineer is caleb hodgson you can find out more about these topics in our show notes at fiercepharma.com. Look for podcasts. Don't forget to follow the top line on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you listen. And that's the bottom line from the top line. Caleb Watson, the audio engineer here. We will not be dropping an episode of the top line next week because of Thanksgiving break. We will be back the week after on December 2nd.